If you have a Bible, you could open it. We're going to be in John 19, 28 to 30. Uh, the verses will be also up on the screen. Uh, but I'd like to have a word of prayer with us, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what God has for us in his word. Lord, thank you for this uh, morning. Thank you, Lord, for Easter Sunday. God, an opportunity to remember and reflect and rejoice in all that you've done. I pray, Lord, that this would be a time right now where uh, you speak to us through your word and that we have ears to hear. Uh, Lord, help me as I speak to be uh, clear and helpful, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to understand ourselves more and and you most of all. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you may have noticed, our theme uh, for this Easter is, it it is finished. Uh, These are words that come directly from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, He speaks them just before he dies, actually. Uh, The verse that we get them from is John 19.30. It says this, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Now, I'm not sure about you if you've seen these words before, but I've always found them uh, really compelling, uh, partly because they're the last words that Jesus speaks, and usually someone's last words have have some meaning for them. Um, Also, it begs the question, you know, what exactly is finished? What what did he do that now he can die and he feels like he's completed something? We're going to talk a lot about that, but just on the surface of it, those kinds of words, speaking about the accomplishment of something, finishing something, I really think that speaks to us as human beings. I mean, as human beings, we tend to like finishing things. Some of us. Some of us actually don't like finishing things. Some of us put things off for a long time and never finish anything, but even those people... When they finally do finish something, they generally feel pretty, uh, you know, satisfied. It's a good feeling. They're like, I should finish more things in my life. So if you're like me, uh, you get a lot of validation out of completing things. And so you probably have checklists. I love checklists. Very first thing on the checklist, create a checklist. Done. Right away. Look, I'm already ahead. You feel good about yourself. Checklists remind us that look, there are things that we have done today. We are, we're somehow worthwhile Another thing that I love is uh, watching time-lapse videos of construction projects. Have you, have you done that? I did a lot of research this week on YouTube, and, I've, and I love watching a building that took like months, years to make, and it's condensed into a couple minutes. Even though I had nothing to do with it, man, it feels good to see it done. It's completed. Praise God for those metalware. It's, it's, it's great. On my Instagram account, there are a couple of projects that I've finished uh, because my wife gives me these projects from Pinterest and I do them, but I always show the beginning and the end and because I, I, it's a great sense of, look, here's how it was and he, here's how it is now. We, we, we you know, restained it. We did it. cost us 12 cents. It's amazing. You feel, you feel good. There's di- you know, diplomas on our walls, trophies. They all speak to the sense of, look, here's something that I have done. I came across the story of a woman who, who celebrates Uh, her ability to finish things. Her name is Lisa Jackson. Uh, She's 51. She's been running marathons uh, for the last 20 years. Uh, She has run about 110 marathons. And uh, every time that she runs a marathon, she comes in last. She's not very fast. Uh, But she loves the race, and she loves the finish. And that picture of her is with her, her participant medal. She says every time she finishes a race, she sleeps with the medal of that race. There's a real sense of joy in her heart. And when there are people who say to her, you know, uh, I'm just, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, sad for you because you always come in last. That must be hard. And she says to them, well, look, how many races have you run? And they're like, oh yeah, I guess not much. I think we get that. We respect that sense of, look, the important thing is that I finished, is that I ran and I'm done. There's value in that. We relish, I think, as human beings, 
accomplishments and achievements, but, but we also know there are certain things in life that just never seem to get finished. Some of them are small things, things like laundry, things like billing, things like house maintenance that you just, they're never done. And we generally hate those things because we never get that sense of it being completed in our home. My wife, why is there more laundry? Stop wearing things. It's very, you never, it's, there's always more. We don't, we don't like that. But, it, but it's not just the small things. It's the bigger things, things like uh, financial stability, things like relational harmony, things like career achievement. These, these are bigger things that for many of us, we just, we never seem to get done. We never are able to say, look, that's, that's finished, that's settled. It's always, it's always undone. But there are even greater things, even deeper things in life that we can't seem to finish. Things that are tied into that second group of, of fairly big things, financial stability, it's a big thing, but there are some deeper, some deeper things that we can't seem to finish. Things like, like peace, like hope, like joy in life. Isn't that what we're looking for generally in life when we, when we wake up in the morning, when we put our heads down at night, we're looking for a sense of peace about the circumstances of our life, about, about who we are in our lives, the, the people there, we, a sense of settledness, just a sense of being able to exhale, be, be settled about the events and details of our life. We also are looking for a sense of hope for our future, expecting good things tomorrow, the week after, decades down the road. It's tough to live without hope. And we are looking for a sense of joyful satisfaction about who we are, about the events and details of our lives, about what we're doing. These things are things that make up the essential satisfaction of life. And despite our best efforts, all of these things tend to be things that seem never to be finished. It's very difficult for us to say we, we've grabbed hold of those things, peace, hope, and joy. And yet when Jesus speaks on the cross, and when he says it is finished, these are the things that he's speaking about. Answers to the deepest longings of life are found in the Easter story. A finish to those things which we can never seem to finish on our own. That, that is what Jesus is talking about. So we're going to look a little bit more deeply at these words of his. We're going to ask and answer two questions uh, in our time together. First, uh, what is it that hinders our ultimate satisfaction in life? And secondly, what exactly did Jesus finish? What was he talking about? So number one, uh, what, what hinders our ultimate pursuit of satisfaction in life? I'm going to give you a short answer and a long answer. Uh, the short answer is, is that it's sin. Sin is the thing that hinders our ultimate satisfaction in life. And you may be thinking, man, we're only like five minutes in and already the preacher is talking about sin. I'm a little bit concerned for this sermon. But listen, we have to talk about sin. We have to talk about sin if we are going to understand the essential problems of humanity. Because the Bible says that sin is at its essence going our own way rather than God's way. It's, it's following our own wisdom rather than God's wisdom. It's the default setting for all of humanity from the moment we are born, and it undermines every good pursuit that we have in life. And just to help us to, to see this or, or see this anew, I'm going to give three ways, three things that are true about us as human beings in our sin, apart from God, that undermine the very pursuit of, of joy and hope and peace in our lives. 
that make it so we can't grasp hold of, of a satisfying life. So three things about us that are true. Uh, number one, we make a mess of things. This is probably not new news. We, we know this. You might have already made a mess of things this morning on the way here. Uh, see, a lot of our goals in life, though, are good goals. We have, we have a, a pretty good trajectory. We have some good things going on. And yet, because of our decisions to make things better, we end up making things worse. I remember uh, hearing a, a man tell a story of how he almost ruined his, his marriage and his, his family. This was at a, a marriage conference. Don and I were there, my wife Don. Everything's fine, by the way. We were just at a, this was a number of years ago at a marriage conference. And he was speaking about his own crisis point in his family. And, and he said, look, at the time, I was married, had a couple of young kids. Things were going pr- pretty well. But I had a desire to advance in my career. And so I spoke with my wife and said, you know, I think I want to pursue some graduate work, get a master's, get a doctorate in psychology. He was a teacher at the time. And so they decided, yeah, this would be a good thing. And so he started down that path. He started to take courses and work at the same time. So of course, time began became very tight. And after the first few semesters and year, you know, he just wasn't around the house very much anymore. And his wife would come to him and say, you know, this, I know we said this was a good thing, but it's... You're not around very much. Our relationship is suffering. Your relationship with the kids is suffering. And he would say, I mean, I know, but, but look, this is going to be good. And that was the conviction of his heart. Look, if, we, if I could do this, I'll be able to earn more money for the family. I'd be able to get a better career. There'll be a greater sense of satisfaction. This will be good for us. It'll be, we'll be closer to the, the kind of life that we think is best. So he continued on. In the last year of his, all of his you know, coursework, uh, he said he remembers coming into the kitchen and there on the table was uh, like a, a drawing that his daughter had done. She was in about grade two at the time. And on the drawing, it was one of those things, you know, draw a picture of your family. So it said, my family. And he looked at it and he noticed that, you know, on one side was his wife and his uh, son and his daughter. Uh, but then he was kind of over to the side and he was in a box. And, you know, he wondered, why, why am I in a box? So he went to his daughter and he said, um, you know, I really like your picture, but why is daddy in a box? And she said, oh, that's, that's the library. That's where you like to be. You like, you like to be in the library, not with us. And of course, he, he was broken. That to, to, the blinders came off. The things that were probably very obvious to the people in his life suddenly became obvious to him in that moment that, that in pursuing the thing that he thought was better, he was ruining the thing that he had. And look, this is not a new story. We've, we probably heard stories like this, maybe lived stories like this. But the thing I want to focus on is that man thought that he was getting closer and closer to a light of satisfaction. And yet he was actually undermining the the very good things that were present in his life. He was ruining things, making a mess of his life and his family. How is it that that happens with us? Why does that happen so very often? That we, we think that we're doing good and yet we end up hurting the people around us. We end up wrecking the the things that are currently present in our life. And and the answer to that, the explanation, is sin. See, sin is going against the the commands and wisdom of God. And so things like pride, things like selfishness, things like a lack of love, a lack of understanding for the people around us, those are are sin. That's not doing things God's way. And the result of it is that things fall apart. Things break down. That's always the way for us as human beings. And that's part of the reason why 
the satisfaction in life that we're seeking, we never seem to get there because things fall apart before we can get there. And even our own decisions tend to frustrate and corrupt that, that pursuit that we have. And beyond that, then we struggle with things like guilt, things like regret, self-pity, bitterness, remorse. And we get farther and farther. We're going in now the wrong direction. So that is evidence of sin in our life. But there's a second thing, almost an opposite problem for us. The second thing that tends to be true about us in our sin is that we live for things that don't satisfy. See, in the first case, the dreams of that guy's life, they, they fell apart. But there are certain people that reach their dreams and they're still not satisfied. In 2005, a New England quarterback, Tom Brady, had won three Super Bowl titles. And by all metrics, he should have been a very satisfied man. He had fame, he had fortune, he had personal achievement. But in an interview uh, at the time with 60 Minutes, uh, here's what he said. He said, there's times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? See, for Tom Brady, he reached the finish line. But when he got there, he realized it, it actually wasn't finished. The thing that he was hoping would come when he achieved all of that would be a sense of peace, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of ease, and he got there, and it, it, didn't, it didn't work. This isn't just a problem for quarterbacks and for the rich and famous. Uh, this is a problem for us, too. I was reading an article uh, on the struggles that people face when they transition to retirement. Uh, there's a, a man, a, a doctor, Dr. Robert Delmontang, who has studied this, worked with those who are transitioning into retirement, and, and he had this quote, which I thought was insightful. He said, look, people can go through hell when they retire, and they will never say a word about it, often because they are embarrassed. And you wonder, why are they embarrassed? Well, they're embarrassed because they're, they're living the dream. They're living the thing that everyone around them, everyone at their workplace before they left, they're working towards, saving money, getting to that place where you don't have to work, where you've saved up enough money, now you can go and, and live the dream. They're now living the dream, and it's, it's not satisfying. They really struggle with a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. The, the thing that they were hoping in, that everyone around them is hoping in, doesn't work, and they feel, they feel embarrassed. It should, but... Why doesn't it? Why don't those things in life bring us to the end, to that finish line we were hoping for? And the answer, again, is, is because of sin. See, sin isn't just doing things contrary to God's plan. It's wrapping up our hearts and our minds in the lesser things of this world rather than in God himself. The things that God has created, good things, but not ultimate things. So that when we get them, if, that's, if all of our hope and joy is to, to be wrapped up in those things, those accomplishments, those achievements, they don't ultimately satisfy and we feel even more depressed, more discouraged. Because now what do, what do we do next? There's one final example though about how us in our sin never seem to reach that satisfaction and life. And that is something that's universal. And that's that We die. See, if there's one thing that puts an end to all of our life pursuits, it's death. There's nothing, we can't get beyond that. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, right, famously said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. 
Taxes are next week, so, you know, be aware of that. But death, we don't know when death will, will come. And there are many people in a category that say, look, I'm, I'm not in the first cat. I haven't really made a mess of my life. And, and secondly, I, I, you know, I actually am kind of happy with life. I feel genuinely satisfied. I'm, I'm happy with, you know, we have enough money, careers going well, things are going well. So I'm not in those first two. And I would say that is, I mean, that is great. That's fantastic. But the question is, how long is that life going to last? And the answer always is not as long as we would like. If we are enjoying some measure of satisfaction in life, we want it to continue, and yet it, it never does. It never does. Death is the ultimate interrupter of our plans. And so whatever, whatever amount of peace and hope and joy we've managed to grab, hold on to at that moment of death or the moment of, of terminal diagnosis, they slip through our fingers. And the pursuit, again, remains unfinished. And this also is a result of sin. See, sin is not just a lack of, of wisdom in life. It's not just a misdirection in life. Sin means the end of life because it is an offense against God who is the author of life. Sin, the Bible tells us, is an essential wrong that cuts us off from the source of all of the life on earth and carries with it the condemnation of death. Not just momentary death, but death forever. So the very thing that plagues us in our life, sin also plagues us in death. And it's a result of our own conscious decision to depart from the wisdom of God. Now at this point, you may be uh, thinking, you may be wondering, you know, uh, Matt, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, you're saying that all of humanity is, is mired in sin, that, that every, every person is, is condemned in sin, is heading to death or under the judgment of God, it, it sounds like. But I don't feel that way. And there's many who would say, that just doesn't, that just doesn't seem to ring true for my, for my life. And, and if that was true, wouldn't, wouldn't I feel it? Like, wouldn't there be some sense of foreboding uh, something, judgment, that I would feel that, that if I'm headed towards death because of that sin? And the, the answer is, well, not, not necessarily. See, there's a lot of things uh, in life that are going to kill us that we don't have any warning about. I mean, medically speaking, for example, in our, in our body, there's lots of things that could be wrong with us that we just don't have any symptoms of until we get to it's too, too late. We've all heard stories of someone, friends, sadly, who say, look, I was, everything was fine this week, and then I, I had a weird you know, sense of something in my jaws, and I went there, and the doctor said, look, you have cancer, you have this, you have, we, we need to do treatment right away. And I, we didn't know about it. See, there are many things that we will not be able to discern unless we get a medical professional and some medical diagnostic tools to look inside us. And that's what your, your family doctor always does, right? This doesn't, I don't know, something's up here. Let's do some blood work. Let's do an MRI. Let's do a CAT scan. Let's do a biopsy. We need to find out what we're dealing with here. And from those, that diagnosis, then there can be a treatment. We go and the doctor says, look, you have, you have really high cholesterol. You have this, you have this blood disease. We're not sure. We, we need to do treatment. See, sin is like that. It's like that because we don't always feel its effects, but it is heading towards death. And so what we need is not a, a medical diagnostic tool. We need some way of diagnosing our moral and spiritual state. And you know that God has given us that diagnostic tool. It's, it's this book, the Bible. Uh, the Bible is God's word to us. 
And the Bible speaks about itself as, as a form of a diagnostic tool. Here's uh, one of the verses speaking about itself from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God, that's another word for the Bible, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what it's saying. As you read the Bible, it, you see humanity. You, you understand yourself, ourselves more. You understand God more. It, it reveals certain things that are true. So what is the diagnosis for humanity? Well, well two verses jump out. Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned, like all, all people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, that says, The wages of sin is death which explains why the ultimate pursuits of our lives are never finished. Because our sinful conditions, they undermine the very things that we are hoping to achieve. And the thing of it is that this sin is present within us from, from birth. It's like when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, look, you do have high cholesterol. I mean, you, and you've got some work to do now. Okay, you've got to stop eating fried foods. There's this stuff called kale. You need to mulch it up and you need to drink it a lot. You need to do exercises. What I want when you come back in a month is to see you've dropped some weight. Because if you don't, you are going to die. It's, it's going to go bad for you. you. But you've got work to do. There's other times, though, when the doctor says, look, there's, there are some things wrong with you. But we need to, I mean, we have to put you on a transplant list. We have to start you on some treatment. We have to, I mean, you should probably do some sit-ups. But that's not, that's not ultimately going to fix this. You need some help outside of yourself some treatment, some, some cure so that you can get better. See, this is, this is our condition as human beings. That, that there is sin that is present in us, but it's not something that we can overcome ourselves because we're, we're mired in it. We're caught up in it. And the evidence of that is that the ultimate end of sin is death and every human being that has ever lived has died. Since the beginning of human beings, everyone succumbed to the condemnation of sin has has died, every single one, except for one. See, we, we celebrate today the human being, Jesus, who died but, but didn't stay dead, who came back to life. That's why there's such, such celebration and hope in the Easter story. See, Jesus was human. That's what Christmas is all about. God come in the flesh, born as a little baby. He grew up as a boy. He began ministry as a young man, but the different thing about Jesus is that he never, he never sinned. He was never impatient. He was never unkind. He was never greedy or caught up in the things of this world. He always had his mind and his heart focused on God. He was innocent of all the charges that they brought against him, even though they still condemned him to death. And see, this was true of him as a human being because he was also divine. He was the son of God, God in the flesh, God living among us. And this enabled him to do the thing that we could never do for ourselves, which is to gain access to real and lasting life. That's the whole point. That's why he came. He kept telling people, look, I'm here so that you would have life. And they were probably thinking, I, I'm, I'm alive. What do, what do you mean? He, but he meant real life. Look at what he says. Here's a few of his uh, words through the book of John. John 10, 10, uh, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the thing that Jesus was seeking to do, and it, it sure seems like by the point of his death that he had accomplished it. I mean, that, that seems to be what he's saying. He said, it is finished. And that's, that's our second question. I'm going to cap off our time. What did he mean exactly when he said, it is finished? Well, let's look again at the verse, but I want to show you the verses uh, before it. There's a little passage, because he says it twice. Uh, here's uh, John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, there's the first time. He's kind of seeing, uh, it's been done. Knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Uh, that sour wine is just like a watered-down wine. They, the soldiers would use it to quench their thirst, and so they gave some to him. And then verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, uh, again he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You really get the sense there that what comes to my mind is like a mountain climber reaching the summit. And he's looking back down. And he's like, man, I did it. It's done. Or a novelist right, writing the, the last words, of the last chapter, closing the manuscript. It's completed. There's a sense of, of finality, a sense of satisfaction and, and triumph. So what exactly did Jesus finish? Well, two things sum it up well, I think. Number one, he finished dealing with sin. The very thing that was preventing us from accessing satisfaction in life. He, he, he dealt with that finally and totally. And secondly, he made a way for us to have true life. See, that's the difference with Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways in which people try to help each other. But generally speaking, we try to prolong the life that we have. Right? If you think about why do we, why do we drink kale? It tastes, it tastes horrible. Why do we do it? It's supposed to prolong our life. It's supposed to be better for us. That's what Don says. It's good for you. Drink it. Why do we have uh, cleanses, relaxation techniques, a healthy eating, going to the gym? All, all, why do we do those things? Why do we have blood transfusions and medical attention? Those are all very good things, by the way. It's great. But they do not ultimately give us what we need because they only prolong the life that we have. And that life, no matter how healthy we are, no matter how much work is done on our body, it ultimately, we will fail. Our bodies will fail. We will die. And even the life that we have now, I mean, if any of what I've been speaking about is resonating, what we see is that the life that we have now is not ultimately the life that we want. We, we want a satisfying life, a life that is satisfying forever. And this life that we have now is not that life. That's why Jesus didn't just come to prolong our lives. He came to give us new ones, new lives, resurrected lives. And he did it. He did it to everyone's surprise, even though he had told them this was going to happen. He did it by dying and then by coming back to new life, a life that, had, that was qualitatively different from the first life because this life, this body would live on into eternity. See, Jesus, what did he do? Look, he lived the life that we couldn't live, a perfect sinless life, earning favor with God. Then he went to the cross in our place, dying the death that we should have died, thus atoning for, appeasing the, the condemnation, the debt that we've incurred because of sin is wiped clean. And in both of those things then were confirmed by him coming back to life. Like if he had said it is finished and then it stayed dead, those words would have rung very hollow. 
would have been like, what did, what did he do? What, what hope is that for us? But that's not what happened. That's not what we celebrate. Uh, for those who are Christians on this day, we celebrate that the tomb was empty. I'm going to read the, the words to you. This is the, the events on that day, that first Easter Sunday, Luke 24, verse, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, these are angels, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. This is the hope of Christianity. This is the hope of faith in Christ. If this is not true, then there's, there's no hope in what we are preaching. The, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he took care of sin and that he was raised to new life. This is what was finished on the very first Easter. Everything necessary for every human being to have abundant and everlasting life. A life now of peace. Because we have an answer to the anxieties and worries and guilt. That the things that, that weigh us down and and bring us into those dark places, we have an answer, which is that we are forgiven. That God loves us in spite of whatever ways we've messed up our lives. We also have a life of hope. Hope because God has secured for us good things in our future, in this life, and especially in the life to come. And we have a life of joy. Because even when things are difficult, and they will be, right? this, this life of faith in Christ is, is not just clouds and unicorns and fluffy kittens, right? It's, it's a still a real life where there's difficult things, but even in those things, there is a sense of joy and hope because we know that God is at work, because we know that he hears our prayers. So let me ask you this. What if, what if everything that you've been striving to achieve in terms of those, those big things in your life were finished? How would you then live? Probably you would, you would live with a sense of rest, sense of joy. Do you know that that's exactly the words that Jesus uses? He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I want to give you rest. I want for you to be able to, to breathe in life and to be satisfied with who you are. But what if all of those things were finished and you knew that you had nothing to do with it, that, that it was all a gift from someone else? Then probably you would live a life of of rest and celebration, but also a life of thankfulness, a life of, of gratitude, that you would be so thankful to the one who had done that for you. And, and that is the Christian life. It's one where we then do the things that God says, not because we have to to get into heaven, but because we're thankful for all that he's done. And so we tend to tell others about it. If you're a guest here with us today, that, that, that's kind of probably why you were invited. Because the person who invited you said, hey, I'd really love for you to have this same sense of satisfaction. It's my love for you means that I want you to, to know these things are true or at least think about them. One of the things we do as a church on Easter Sunday is that we always have baptisms uh, because uh, baptism is really a picture of all of this, of the new life that we have in Christ. Uh, we have Adela who's being baptized today. She's actually being baptized at the 10 a.m. gathering. So if you want, you can stick around. There's the tank. It, it'll happen. Uh, but we want in each uh, service to, for her to tell her story. Because in baptism, it, it's a picture of, of death. You go into the water and you come back up again. Just as Jesus went into the grave and was raised anew. And so in baptism, the people are saying, look, this is, this is my new life. This is the hope that I have in Jesus. And so 
what we're going to do is just, uh, we've recorded uh, Adela's story. She's going to tell us her story. And then the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and we'll close things out. But I invite you to listen. believed and feared God for as long as I can remember. I was born into a Christian family and I was baptized as a baby and attended church with my family consistently every Sunday. I always had God in my soul, but I never nourished it. As I migrated 15 years ago to Canada, I was focused on material things and I would ignore him so easily. It happened until my friend Alina asked me to join her on a Sunday at Willingman Church where I bursted into tears and I felt the heaviness of sins and burden. I have ignored for so many years the most beautiful, most powerful and especially most peaceful things in my life and that was Jesus. I was living in a darkness and seeing the light which filled my soul with so much love, peace and happiness I could not resist anymore. I started going to church again, and this time I felt like I was starting to deepen my relationship with God. As a nurse, I feel more confident now to share the words of God with my patients and their families. I want to invite other people into Jesus' hands. I want to represent God in all I do. I'm choosing to be baptized now as an adult because I want the world to know that I am committed to my relationship with God and that I look forward to what the future brings with Him. My intentions are in a place of obedience to God and joyful submission to the reality of His will to declare my life to Jesus Christ and give it to Him and live for Him because He died for me and because what my Heavenly Father wants from me is better than what I can ever choose. I trust my life to Christ because without Him, I am nothing. But through Him, I can do all things. All good comes from Him, whether we see.